It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation, a podcast devoted to the conversations with people at the forefront of the ongoing mobility revolution. In the state that put the world on wheels, here's your host, MDOT Communications Director, Jeff Cranson. Again, this is Jeff Cranson. Welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast. Today, I'm really pleased to have with me somebody who's put a lot of time into understanding the culture and history of the Delray neighborhood of Detroit. Karen Dibus, uh, former Detroit News reporter, a guest turned author and historian. Karen, is that the best way to describe you now? That's who I am now. I'm a citizen archivist, I joke. Someone who just does it because of a love for Detroit and its neighborhoods, and Delray just really touched my heart from the first time I saw it. Well, talk about that history of the community, and was it about this particular Detroit village turned neighborhood on the city that intrigues you so much? gotten interested in it because of a project where a particular resident of Delray in the 1930s was accused of a crime. And so I was writing about that particular crime and that family. So I had to visit Delray. I wanted to see where she lived and kind of get a sense of the neighborhood. And so the context was seeing photographs of a very vibrant ethnic or immigrant community and then going out there to see the reality this is around 2014 2015 and and realizing that something very dramatic had happened between then and now and so not only the kind of curiosity about what took place but this idea that Delray being a working neighborhood really I gravitated to that because I respect the hardworking aspect of Detroit, of Metro Detroit, of Michigan, you know, the Midwest. That's just something that's kind of ingrained in me. So I, I connected to this place for, for no good reason other than it reminded me of my hometown and or just had that very Detroit feel to it. So in reading more about it and then learning about the bridge, caused me to do some more deep dives into Delray and what had happened over the last, let's say, you know, since the 1800s to today. So when you say your hometown, what are you referencing? Well, I'm from the thumb of Michigan. I'm from a city called Bad Axe, so that's uh, a definite working town in Huron County and uh, has a lot of connection to the water, kind of like Delray in a strange way, where my parents had retired to Port Huron. No, I'm sorry, they're in Port Huron now, Port Austin, Michigan. So just a grindstone and those kind of cities uh, really had that same feel that Delray does in some sure. ways. Sure. So uh, then that's interesting to me because there are a lot of neighborhoods in the city of Detroit, obviously, with you know a strong ethnic background and some of the blue-collar, hard-scrabble roots that you're talking about. So what is it about Delray in particular, just more so than some of those others, do you think, that, that intrigued you so much? Something I loved about it is I've been a long-time business reporter, and so I gravitate to stories of how people start things or how things develop um, in terms of an entrepreneurial spirit. And I really think Delray had that in a lot of very deep ways. It was the kind of neighborhood where it was dense in terms of home ownership, so like duplexes and um, kind of this uh, multifamily unit for residential, but then from the business standpoint, it had everything. You never had to leave the confines of Delray. You could go to the photographer, the florist, the baker, the grocer, the neighborhood candy store, you know, that sometimes doubled as like the soda shop. Um, there are community centers next and, to churches and, and all it kinds just was of a really food. Yeah, very hearty place as far as food and bars and 
you know, they lived very deeply, the, the people that called Delray home. So it had a wonderful, tight-knit community feel that you sort of, you know, long for as someone like myself that is really fond of downtowns and neighborhoods. Oh, that's nice. Well, let's talk a little bit about the future then. Um, as you know, the city's Delray Neighborhood Framework Plan launched uh, a little more than a year ago, and one planning official told the Detroit News for the story that you were quoted in that it's about a long-term it's not about long-term residential growth. Uh, what does that mean to you? To me, I think it's one of the more respectful things you could do for that neighborhood is to understand that there are people with either emotional connections or, in a lot of cases, I think they have financial burdens. They, they maybe can't move necessarily as easily as uh, other people could. Maybe their home value has declined or maybe they just love that neighborhood. There's a lot of people really living their best life there in terms of having land and having kind of that open space. So you can't go into that neighborhood thinking, again, there's environmental concerns and there's lots of reasons why they move. But the fact that some people don't want to move, if you give them some quality of life, understanding that residential is not going to be redeveloped, and, and I don't know that you should, that's just me as an observer, that you give them some ways to continue to live there until there is a change or until they may be able to move because of some shifts in the way the economy goes maybe for their independent households. Whatever the reason, I appreciate the attention and care given to that neighborhood much more than maybe the average in that they have had sort of a, they've been shoved in the back of the closet for a long time when there was contentiousness over where a bridge would go or could a bridge go there or uh, were there some things that were going on in the background that the residents were promised or they felt they were promised. There was so much conversation that took place that Delray didn't have a hand in it seemed like. So the fact that people actually are talking with them, offering suggestions, giving job training, you know, all the variety of ways that the city and the bridge through its management are working with people who choose to live there at this point, I think it's just, to me, one of the better things that could happen for a community that had very few people kind of on their side, for lack of a better term. No, I think that's true, and I think it's especially true. What I what I learned watching this process the past few years is that it's very naive of us to think that, you know, just large amounts of money, maybe more money than a lot of people ever thought they could get for their homes in Delray, was enough to satisfy them. There are some people that, you know, a home's a home, and it really doesn't, the, yeah. the money doesn't matter. And Well, this is a community, if you can kind of picture yourself, where women washed sidewalks and swept daily, if not multiple times a day, where they planted these elaborate flower gardens that still bloom even though there's not a house there. Um, it's magnificent. And, and there are homes that are so well-maintained and yards that have, like, bees and flower gardens. I mean, the people who choose to live there or have, have very strong memories of when their family did live there, if that it's so touching to me. It's so loving um, the emotions that are associated with Delray. I mean, about a week ago, I interviewed a woman who had grown up there in the fifties, and she can recall the names of every business around her family's home. And it's so uh, strong a memory for people that I I really respect 
and actually feel a great kinship to the people that choose to live there in a way. I understand that sometimes it's not their so-called choice, but at the same time, um, I think they're making decisions that really reflect what's going on in their lives. And, well, and I haven't spent nearly as much that. time there as you have, but I've certainly noticed that in my mm -hmm. in my time down there. So, um, you know, the, the planners have talked about the opportunities presented by the bridge, the city planners, and that the neighborhood can't just coexist, but it can thrive, I think, with these different uses, a combination of long-term residents and non-residential development that's going to be spurred by the bridge. Um, and you've got good background on that, both from a business writer standpoint and from a cultural standpoint. So is is that what you, I mean, are you optimistic about that and how that coexistence will work? I am. I would say for the first time in the times I visited there, and again, this is a short-term relationship I have with Del Rey, you know, versus the people who grew up there or who are currently living there, so I want to respect that. But in my observations, I will say this is the first time I felt optimistic for Del Rey, you know, because these are the caretakers uh, in a lot of cases who want to be there. Um, yes, there are people there that probably aren't the best uh, maintenance of their properties and there could be reasons for that and I don't I don't pretend to understand all the you know politics or what's going on but the people who are there that I've met the children I've interacted with through the community center through some volunteerism I did or just you know again observation and going there through the years I really love the people that take care of their properties and I want them to be able to have police protection you know good environment and to, to be able to thrive. And I feel like this is the first time that I I see where this place could be. And in terms of cleanliness, uh, with the new, you know, um, barriers and art and different things that will be put aesthetically in place because of the bridge and because of Fort Wayne and different things that will happen over the next few years, I feel like there's going to be a quality of life that is respectful of every person's right to live safely in these great United States. Well, well said, and I, I think I've been impressed um, to watch the Government of Canada through the Windsor-Detroit Bridge Authority, uh, which is building the Gordie Howe International Bridge, and the way that uh, they've reacted to the neighborhood and the and the people advocating for community benefits and uh, and, and the trust that's built up is the, the neighborhood, like you said, they've had a lot of reasons not to trust institutions and government. and they've come to believe and see that, that uh, the people building the bridge are very sincere about that and that good things are going to come or are already coming from those community benefits. So, I, you know, I think that you had some thoughtful comments about that in the news too. Um, and can you talk about, about that and what you've kind of witnessed along those lines? The meetings between the bridge and the community are usually open to the public. And the ones I've been able to attend, especially pre-COVID, have been where there is a real back and forth between the community that is there and represents the residents and the bridge uh, representatives. So I've seen the open communication. I've spoken with them as part of a citizen archive project that I've worked with some of the bridge representatives and was really impressed with the sensitivity and the, uh, again, respect level that they gave both myself, but that, you know, if they ever were to find something of importance, you know, whether it be archaeologically or culturally to the community, they wanted to be responsive and return that or create some way to honor that. So through all these interactions, I've been so impressed. And then observing through uh, the sandwich community, you know, watching some of those meetings and seeing the uh, 
indigenous people of that area be respected and honored through the bridge experience. Again, as a, just an outside observer, I have, I feel like there's a level of not only open uh, communication, but continued communication through the whole process. And if you read through the community benefits paperwork, again, just as someone who's even just interested as a resident of, the, of Michigan and, you know, adjacent to Canada, you see the, the amount of care they're going to give in helping people with job training and uh, giving resources to a community that, very simply put, has had not access to resources in a very long time. That's super exciting to me and, again, shows that long-term time frame that they're giving this. Yeah, that's nice. I didn't realize you had gone over to Sandwich, too, because there's, there's its own unique and very, very rich history there, too. So Yeah, that's it's, to me it's fascinating that two communities that have some of the deepest history uh, for their particular areas were part of this. So yeah. it, it links them in a very special way, and I hope that that's seen. And, like, I would love to work with anybody if there was a chance to put up, like, a historical marker, like one of the Michigan history markers, um, just to indicate that this was Delray and it's special. And, you know, those that's one of my life goals is to see something like that happen. And I feel like that, that really is something that the bridge and the people working on the project are, are considerate of and want to maintain well, that's um, in some, a lot of ways. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. We'll have to talk more about that. So, you know, speaking of Sandwich and, and the First Nations people, um, did you see the art that's that's yes. going on the uh, construction towers? Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that is so exciting to me because, I mean, small things like the way that the pedestrian walkways will look to these bigger, more bolder pieces, you know, the the choice of artists, the, the look of it. Again, it reminds me of what's been done in, like, Eastern Market or the DeQuinder Cut or some of these other art-focused installations that change a city into a destination. And that's something that, again, I think Detroit has really excelled at in the last 10 years. So it brings Delray into that. And, boy, if there could be a small tourist attraction or some reason to come into Delray and support what is there, that excites me to no end because I really think there is opportunity for that in some way. If public art slash, you know, murals or, you know, artistic endeavors are encouraged, I feel like that could be a really unique thing for not only the city, but especially for the neighborhood. And, you know, maybe you don't want loitering and graffiti, but you could encourage this kind of artistic achievement. I, I think that is something that I really was so pleased to see in its development. Well, to a degree, I mean, in terms of a, a culinary art, I think there's a bit of a tourist attraction now in Mexican sound. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the development of Southwest Detroit, both through not only like financial encouragement of facades and streetscape, but the cultural uh, respectability of the restaurants and the diversity of the ethnic and you know international foods through restaurant weeks and work that's being done by the Southwest business community associations and things like that. If that spills toward Delray even more, you know, because you have the beautiful landscape, you know, there are moments there that can be encouraged and, and we'll have to see how it develops because, you know, obviously we have a, a, a large industrial site and it's not necessarily uh, the moment for this. But I, I, again, I see 10, 15, 20 years down the road 
a, a lot of potential. So that that's what thrills me. Well, that's the question I was going to ask you. Given this uh, this very prescient and, and far-thinking focus on community benefits and, and on environmental justice, which is very important to the city and the state and the federal government, which has a hand in the bridge, obviously, what do you, what's your crystal ball tell you 10 years, 20 years from now? Well, I, I can see where the people who live there can have a home that is safe, that's secure, that's, you know, a place to be proud of and that they want to invest in, which is a new, you know, maybe feeling that might be something exciting for that community. I see where there could be a Fort Wayne that is vibrant and maybe has some, you know, different kind of aspects to it that will bring more people to that community. I can see, you know, more tours of the area maybe because the history is so strong there and you can bring people in to talk about Henry Ford and you can bring them in to talk about a lot of, you know, landmark Detroit moments that happened in the area. And then I think you could build up some small, maybe a, a micro business corridor, depending on where, that could tap into some of the interest in Detroit as a whole. So maybe it's, it's a, a block or two that could be developed. I don't know what's the potential but I do see it there because, again, you're right by the water. I mean, this is a place of great beauty and, and beautiful parks and heartfelt people who really want to invest. I, I do see that in the next, like I say, 10 to 20 years. It's not going to be immediate because there's so much more work to do, um, and we'll have to see how things play out, especially economy-wise. We had that wrinkle of 2020 thrown in, but, you know, and this, oh, some good people were lost who were deeply invested in in. Delray, but I think more people will step up, and it'll create excitement. And Detroit is just like an endless, I think, place where and you know entrepreneurism and creativity is respected. And I, I think there's a palette there in Delray that could really be used. Well, that's really well said. And when you talk about the river and and its role in all of this and what's already gone on mm -hmm. know, in, the, in the eastern section of the river, and I'm happy to say that MDOT's had a real role with the river walk and the development yes. there. All these things yeah. extending further west are just uh, going to, you know, help activate the river even more and make it, you know, what it was originally. The whole reason that cities developed where they are is, is going to be part of their rebirth, and that's the water. Yeah, I mean, some of the world's greatest cities, not only Michigan's, but uh, the world's greatest cities are along water. And, and that's really deep in Detroit's history is this love of the water and, you know, parks and other things that we can develop along there, especially that river walk, which is just a incredible asset that will only grow as people realize just how dynamic and lovely that is. That's one of my favorite things to support is the Detroit Riverfront and the river walk and all that effort that's going in there. If even a, a tiny bit of that stretched toward Delray, I mean, I think that would be the, the feather in Detroit's cap, in a way, of showing respect to that community that really wanted to be something very special. It wanted to be its own city back in the early, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. It had big dreams. Um, and it became part of Detroit through an annexation, but it can definitely stand out as one of its finest neighborhoods, given the proper investment and a little TLC, I think, at this well, point. Well, I think you're right in terms of extending you know, the development along the river uh, and the, the various uses, the fact that there'll be non-motorized uh, paths included on the Gordy Hill yes. National Bridge is a great thing, too. So you can ride your bike from, you know, way east on the Detroit River on the Michigan side and cross over and uh, explore Windsor and 
go even even farther if you'd like to. So. Yeah, I think if people have the vision for it, if they go in there and they see that there's still the cobblestone or you know brick streets in some parts of Delray, and there's lovely buildings and there's a lot of heart there. So I, I hope that as people see it more because of the bridge, they're going to be like, wow. I didn't know this existed because sometimes when I speak of it, people look at me a little funny like, are you sure you're talking about the same place that we are? Huh. Uh, but I think you have to see beyond the, the current and really give it hope for the future by you know dreaming big. And I, I think that's the moment that we're having. It's it's a little bit different than, than where it was five years ago because I think it looks very different than it did five years ago. And you can't live in the past. You can honor it, but you kind of have to move forward. And I think that's what this project is really trying to do. Well, later I'm going to talk to Mohammed El Garabi, who's been the MDAP project manager on this bridge for uh, quite a while now, many years through various incarnations and various names. And he uh, has worked very hard at building that trust and those relationships. And he has every bit as much respect for the people and the history of Delray as you do. So it's a, it's a very nice compliment. But Karen, thank you so much for taking time to do this and uh, for conducting these oral histories and helping to uh, remember this important part of Detroit and Michigan's history. Yeah, I'm honored in any way, shape, and form to be associated with Delray, and I really appreciate the, the efforts that are being made there. So thank you for reaching out and including me in this conversation around it. We're back on the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast, and as promised, we're going to talk a little bit with Mohammed El Garabi, who is the project manager on the Gordie Howe International Bridge, and he probably has a, a, a long perspective, even longer than than Karen, who offered us some tremendous insight into her views as an independent observer of the project and what it's going to mean to this historically rich neighborhood. So, Mohammed, talk about uh, your history with the bridge through its various incarnations and how long you've been working with the community members. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I am so blessed to say for the last uh, going on, starting in 2004, so going on for 16 years, I've been working on this great project, the greatest project in our lifetime and working with the finest community on the planet. And I say that from the bottom of my heart because I, I fell in love with the community of Delray. Uh, they are just uh, true and true when it comes to their passion, their love for their community, their love for the multi, multi-generation, and they do it in a just some very, very honorable way. Yeah, well, you say that, and you say it just from the bottom of your heart, but you've also expressed warm feelings about the other communities where you've worked on projects. So what is it, and this is, you know, kind of the same question I posed to Karen, what is it that is so special um, that that you find so much more touching about Delray than some other places you've worked? I'll tell you, and this is probably really hard even to say it, and i got to be very careful when I say it, that I don't say it, and it comes in a pejorative way. When we made our first step of foot in uh, Delray, you look around and you know you smell the air, you watch the deterioration, you watch the benign neglect, and this is something they'll tell you about it, because they they are their heart hurts because of what's going on, but at the same time, they have so much pride about it. 
because their grand grandparents or their their relatives or their their family members have lived in that community for years and years and years and, and that's the thing that makes it special and different from any other community that I worked in is even though it might not look as other communities where the, they don't have the issues that Delray has, they love it as much, if not more. And that created a sp soft spot in my heart to say, who am I to think or, or especially bringing a project to the area, thinking that I'm going to displace homes and businesses and it might not be a big deal in my mind for a second. I regretted it for that second that I had because I was told very clearly and adamantly that I was dead wrong, that I cannot think that way because for them, they have a lot of pride in it and they love it as much, if not more, than any other places where they don't have that benign neglect. So talk about how long you've been down there and, you know, your incredible patience and uh, your your personal history with this project that at one time was the uh, Detroit International Bridge Crossing, and then it was the New International Trade Crossing, and then it was the Gordie Howe International Bridge. I suppose in its earliest conception, it was just, you know, known as another bridge. So go, go back in history with us a bit. Well, it started way in the early 2000 i think that's the first handshake i'm t i am told about it because i was not part of it but i was told that's the first uh, handshake between representatives from uh federal highway administration uh, michigan department of transportation and uh the uh, canadian government where they got together and start talking about this this uh this concept called the new bridge and um, again, I didn't get involved until a few years later after the completion of the planning needed feasibility, which kind of laid the foot grounds for going forward with an environmental impact statement. So where we could take that information to start locating the a new bridge, where the new bridge ought to be. So that started in 2004. So like I was saying, Jeff, it's been, it's going on 16, 17 years in the making of this incredible project. Yeah, um, I think what I've noticed and I've watched now for the years that I've been involved and been down there for various public meetings and in media events um, is the relationships that you've built up and the trust that you've built up in the community um, because you clearly you know, care about the people and they know that and you've been an advocate um, and worked closely with the Windsor Detroit Bridge Authority as they've developed the community benefits plan, uh, which has been, you know, well received and is is somewhat pioneering in its 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 scope, I think, for the for the community. Um, talk about why that's so important to get to know the people and and build that trust. Well, I I'm a professional engineer, and uh, I I solemnly swore swore when I took that helm to become a civil engineer is to serve the people who I would represent and getting to know the people and getting to know their life story, how much they care about their life, livelihood and the community they live in, it's, it's, it's fundamental. And fundamental to me to, to serve them in a way 
that I ought to serve them and, and make be faithful to them under my the oath that I've given. So to get to know someone and tell them that I am here, I'm from the government, I'm here to help you, but in their mind, you're here to displace me, you're here to take my home away, you're here to destroy my neighborhood, you're here to do all the negative things, but to live through that and watch, I, I'm lucky in a way, Jeff, that I could stay in that position, not only alive and well, but also have contained that position because most people, they move on to the next job. And then they, the people, the community themselves don't get to witness that all oath that was made, that promise that was made. So here I said to them, I'll work with you. I will do my best. I will do the right thing. But sometimes are you going to live to see that through? And I did. And I, I, not just me, it's not me. It's really the department. Uh, the Michigan Department of Transportation uh, does an incredible job in serving the community and keeping their, keeping its word that it's serve, that's their mission statement is to serve the people and do a great job in providing the highest, you know, transportation services. So again, uh, the relationship to just summarize, the relationship is fundamental because people will remember what you say and they'll hold you to it and they'll keep watching to see, are you going to keep your word or are you going to just talk and never walk the walk? And I'm, I'm here to tell you that I think with the promises that was made on this project, it was delivered. It may not be 100%, but I think if you talk to most people, and I will never speak for anybody from the community, but I hope they will tell you that the, the, the project has done good by the community. And that's a huge testimony. Well, so why don't you uh, recap a little bit of the update that was in the Detroit news story that, uh, that prompted uh, our conversations with, with you and Karen, um, where we stand in terms of acquiring the property in Detroit for the physical building of the bridge and, and what still needs to happen. I think this is really good to to watch, you know, the, the latest and greatest in terms of when somebody observe that we have uh, 636 properties or, excuse me, parcels that we needed uh, and we were able to complete that and ba basically be able to uh, demonstrate that there is there is a accountability and 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 a great work that was done throughout that process so i mean again i think karen did a really great job in demonstrating that story about what took place the article was uh, spot on again talking about the, the transformation of the livelihood of people in the community and uh, again what to expect from this bridge project and at least it it, it showed that the, the the bridge is uh, has done good by the community and again that's really again from the people's mouth it's what's important not what i would say here well and just some incredible uh, heavy lifting and negotiations and uh, interpersonal relationships and, and contact that had to be 
built up and that trust had to be built up to acquire 636 parcels, some residential, some commercial. And again, that's just for the actual physical building of the bridge. We've still got a handful that we'll need for some stormwater runoff and for some rail spurs. But it's it's quite an accomplishment that the, the real estate division um, and you've worked closely with them and you've leveraged a lot of those same relationships to get this far. Uh, but I mean, really, in all the projects you've worked on, and you've worked on some big ones, including uh, the state's newest freeway, still the state's newest freeway, M6 in West Michigan. Um, I mean, have, have you ever seen anything like this in terms of the property acquisition? Um, the uh, No, I mean, I think this is, this is more complex, more uh, complicated. Uh, again, the uh, M6 South Beltline, it was a, a green, greenfield. And as much as possible, I mean, it has its own issues. But when it comes to this one, it's uh, it's an urban set. It has uh, all kind of uh, complications, so it's, you can't compare the two. With all due respect, I mean, I, it just makes it apples to oranges compared. But yeah, so so this was all this was this was very new to you, and it's uh, it's an experience that uh, a lot will be said and written about. But it probably isn't anything that will be duplicated in our lifetimes. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Mohammed. Um, that's that's nice. Uh, nice compliment to uh, Karen's comments and her her very uh, thoughtful analysis of the project and what's going on. I appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll be talking again over the next couple of years as this bridge starts to really take shape and and tower over uh, both Detroit and Windsor. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks again for listening to this week's edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. And I want to give a special thanks to Corey Peaty, who uh, does the sound engineering for the podcast, and to Sarah Martin uh, of MDOT, who does the show's intro and closing. That's a wrap for this edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. Check out show notes and more by subscribing on Apple Podcasts.